Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts and the actions of our lives be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Welcome to week two of our 40-day prayer challenge. I hope that you have had a chance to get together in your small group. I hope that you've been looking at that prayer calendar that we have given you, that you've been digging into some of the resources, but above all, that you have been able to make time to be in God's Word and to be in prayer as well. Because when you do this, I guarantee that great things will happen. I guarantee that this will be a blessing for you, but also I think for the people around you, the people especially that you are thinking about in your prayers, the people that you are making mention of to God himself. As we get into this series of prayer, I talked last week about reasons that we had to pray, to be preoccupied with prayer. This week, I want to talk about one of the challenges of prayer that comes to mind as people really start to get into this and they think about what they are doing. Before I get into that, I'm not sure if you would agree with me, but I was kind of thinking about as people pray, what are some of the most famous prayers? What are prayers that people have heard of and that they really know well? And I thought, well, obviously the Lord's Prayer, that's one that just about everybody knows. There is the common table prayer, which I don't know how common it is, but I think quite a few people know it. Come Lord Jesus, be our guest, and so forth. There's also the prayer that is often said at nighttime, especially with children, now I lay me down to sleep. But then there's another one that I have heard and seen in many different contexts. It's what is known as the serenity prayer. Lord, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Grant me the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Now, that's not a prayer that comes straight out of the Bible, but that is a prayer that has a lot of good wisdom behind it. I don't know if you have ever prayed that prayer or if you've seen that prayer as a kind of decoration in somebody's house or read it on a Facebook post. It really brings to mind a lot of questions, though, doesn't it? Prayer and change. Do our prayers matter? Do our prayers make a difference? Do our prayers really change anything at all? As you pray about some of the things that you might be dreaming big about, you might wonder, is this the kind of thing that God cares about? Is this the kind of thing that I am praying against his will? Or is this something that that God would be behind as well? That can really be an internal struggle. And so, I don't want that particular question to bother you. I don't want that to be something that stands in your way. And so as you think about prayer and what difference do your prayers make, do your prayers change your circumstances, do your prayers change God, I want to bring us to our Old Testament reading, especially today. And let's think about that question in that context of God's Word. Now, the 
verses that we heard from Exodus 32, there's a much bigger context there. I talked about how this is the section where God has brought his people out of Egypt. He's led them through the Red Sea, led them through the wilderness, and brought them to Mount Sinai where he has made a covenant with them. And these people promised that they would keep God's covenant. And a part of that covenant that God gave to them was the Ten Commandments. And after Moses went back up the mountain to receive more of God's instructions, the people broke God's covenant. The people broke God's covenant by making for themselves an idol, a golden calf, that they bowed down and worshiped, saying, these are the gods that brought you out of Egypt. And as Moses is up on Mount Sinai talking with the Lord, the Lord sees everything that is going on at the base of the mountain, and he tells Moses that he's done with these people. He is finished with them. In fact, in our reading today, you can hear how God's every word drips with irony. He says that these are your people, Moses. I don't want them anymore. These are your people that have broken my covenant, the covenant that they said that they would follow, that they would obey. They put their very lives on the stake, uh, at stake, and they haven't done it. And so I'm going to destroy them. It's over, Moses. And in this reading, by the time we get to the end, did you catch what happens? That God, who says that he is going to destroy these people, instead relents. God changes his mind. God doesn't do what he says he's going to do. And did you see what made the difference? Prayer, right? It was conversation. It was Moses' conversation with God. Moses seems to have completely changed the outcome of the story. So for those of us who wonder, does prayer make a difference? Does prayer change anything? I think all you need to do is look at this story there in the Old Testament, and you can see exactly how important prayer is, that prayer can change God's own mind. But is that really what we should take out of this? Is that really what this story is about? Or is there something more that God is trying to teach us here? See, I don't think it's as simple as that. I don't think it's as simple as saying, look, Moses' prayers change God. Our prayers can change the mind and will of God if only we would pray. I think there's something more happening here. So maybe we look at this from a different perspective. We see in this story how Moses' prayers change God's mind, but let's think about Moses for a second. Do you remember how Moses is introduced in the story of the Exodus? I mean, not just simply as that baby who was under penalty of death by Pharaoh, who was saved by Pharaoh's own daughter. I mean, as he grows up, do you remember how Moses really doesn't feel like he belongs anywhere, how he doesn't have a home, how he doesn't really have a family. Because although he's brought up in Pharaoh's court, he seems to understand that he is a Hebrew. There was that one time when one of the Egyptians was mistreating one of the Hebrew slaves, and Moses stepped in. Moses saw how this was not good, and by doing so, Moses actually ended up killing that Egyptian. 
And then later, as Moses sees a couple of Hebrews fighting, he, he sort of gets involved there. He doesn't like all of this injustice towards one another that he sees in this world. But as he steps in to kind of stop these Hebrews from fighting, he realizes that they know that he killed that Egyptian. And Moses understands he doesn't really fit in anywhere. He, he took a stand against the Egyptians on behalf of the Hebrews, but when he tries to stand up for the Hebrews, they don't accept his help either. He's neither an Egyptian nor a Hebrew, and so Moses flees. Moses runs away because he doesn't fit in anywhere. And as Moses has his time of sojourn among the Midianites, God comes to Moses. God issues that great call to Moses from the burning bush. Moses, you are going to be the one to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. And do you remember how that conversation with God went? Do you remember how apprehensive Moses was to do the things that God was asking? How Moses came up with every reason, every excuse in the book why he couldn't be that one? And do you remember how God did not accept any of Moses' excuses. God simply said, Moses, you're going to do this. I'm going with you. I'll even give you your brother Aaron to help you. But this is my will. This is what I will accomplish. And that's exactly what happened. Moses was the one that God used to lead his people out of Pharaoh's strong hand, out of Egypt, to bring them to that very same mountain where God appeared to Moses so that they might be God's people, so that they might worship him, so that they might be led into that promised land that God had given to their forefathers so long ago, even though they hadn't yet dwelt in it for themselves. So that's some of Moses' background. He's really a cowardly lion, isn't he? He's really somebody who did not immediately know that this was his role, that this is where God had called him, that this was what he was going to do. He didn't want to do that. He refused that. But now. Do you see the difference? Do you see how now that Moses is there with God's people that he has brought out of Egypt, that he stands before God not as a cowardly lion, but he stands as that brave prophet. He stands as an intercessor. He stands right in front of that speeding freight train of God's own judgment against his people. God said, Moses, these are your people. These are your people, not mine. But Moses won't stand for that. Moses says back to God, no, God, these are your people. Make no mistake. These are your people that you have delivered out of Egypt. These are your people. And if you would destroy your people here, don't you understand that everybody would see what good is it to believe in this God? He simply destroys those whom he calls his own. Moses goes on, Lord, don't you see that you cannot destroy these people because remember your promises. Remember your servants to whom you made that promise. Remember Abraham and Isaac and Israel, Jacob. 
Remember that you promised to make their descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. Remember, Lord, that you promised that you would give them that land. Lord, you have made them a great nation, and you must now accept them as your own. Now, in that conversation, do you notice how Moses has nothing really good to say about the people themselves? He can't say, God, they're not so bad, or God, they didn't mean it. Moses has no leg to stand on. By every measure of justice, God should destroy those people because they swore to obey God and they have broken that oath. Not only have they broken that oath, they broke the very first command that God gave them. You shall have no other gods. Moses can bring nothing toward God that that is of the people. Moses can't even bring himself. Lord, save them for my sake. Instead, what Moses does, when Moses stands before God himself, what does he place before him? He places God's own faithfulness, God's own promise, God's gospel message that God himself had promised that he would make this people a great nation, that he would deliver them. God, you can't destroy them because you said that you would save them. Now, what I want you to see is that Moses has changed from being that cowardly lion to a man of great faith. He does not give to God anything of the people. Rather, he gives to God his own word, his own promises, and says, God, you must keep your promise. Why? Because that is who you are. That's the kind of God you are. You are a God of justice, but you are a God of grace and mercy. You are a God of great compassion. And Lord, yes, these are a stiff-necked people, but they are your people. Yes, Lord, they are sinners, but they are sinners whom you will redeem. Lord, these are your people. Save them. Save them not because of anything that they have done, but simply save them because of your own promise, because of your mercy and grace. If you think about that whole interchange, if you think about what Moses is doing here at Mount Sinai versus what that conversation was like at the burning bush, Do you see what has happened? Do you see how transformed Moses has become? Do you see how he is no longer that cowardly lion, but instead he is this great prophet of God? Does prayer change anything? Now, at first we said, yes, prayer changes God. And I think that there is something there There's something there to hold on to, to remember. But here at Mount Sinai, the greatest change that has happened is not in God himself, but in Moses. Because what does Moses bring to God to change his heart? God himself. 
He brings God's own word, God's own promise. It's not that God has changed. It's that the people were unfaithful. And the God who is faithful to his promise, faithful to his covenant, he, he could do nothing else than bring judgment, the consequence of their sin. God has not changed. It's the people who have changed as they have wandered away from him. But Moses, too, has changed. And how is it? that Moses has changed? Well, it's happened through God's word. It's happened as Moses has been listening to what God has been saying. Moses learns more and more who God is, and as he understands God, he not only understands himself and his role, but he understands that God is that God of grace and mercy, that God's judgment, it will come because of sin, but God doesn't want his people to die. He doesn't want to destroy them. Instead, he wants them to be saved. And Moses wants to be the one to bring that message to the people that without this God, they would be lost. Without his redemption, they would have nothing. Without his forgiveness, they would be condemned. Prayer has changed Moses. Those conversations with God, not only to hear him, but now to be able to speak to him, that has changed him. Moses is now that great man of faith, holding not to his own righteousness, but to God's wonderful promises. And I think that's what I want you to take away from this for your own life. That prayer, yes, it can change God, but God's purposes are set. God has already revealed himself to us. We know what God is about. We know his business. And so as we understand that, it's not so much that we're focusing on how we can change God, but as we pray to God, as we read his word, it is God who is changing us. He's changing our thoughts. He's changing our words. He's changing our prayers. In our gospel reading, it wasn't that Jesus did not want to save the Gentiles. It wasn't that he did not want to heal them. If he didn't want to do those things, he never would have been in their territory. But instead, Jesus puts himself among sinners so that even they could understand who he was, so that even they could come to him in faith, so that even they could say, Lord, save me. I may not be an Israelite. I may not be one of your people. But if you are who you say you are, have mercy even on me. Martin Luther said, as he looked at the petitions of the Lord's Prayer, that as we pray, Lord, thy will be done. God's will is going to be done no matter what, right? <laughs> because he's God. But what we pray is that God's will would be done among us. That we would be found not against God, not standing against him, but on his team. That we would be partners in his kingdom. That we would be the ones who would work with him. And do you know how you can be that? You can be a person of prayer. You can be a person who is in God's word and who speaks that word back to him. Because as you do that, God's Holy Spirit will be working. He'll be working in your heart and in your lives to change you. 
to change you from the inside out, to change your conversation, to change your conduct, to change your prayers. And as he does that, you will be like Moses. You will be God's partner. You will be a part of that relationship. You won't be focused on trying to change God or manipulate him. Instead, you will be so focused on getting to know God. And as you do that, he will be at work in you and you will be the one who is changed. But it doesn't end there, does it? Because as God works inside you to bring those changes in your hearts, he'll also be at work to change the people around you. For as Moses seems to have changed the course of the world by his own conversations with God, by standing and interceding for them, your lives have already been changed by Jesus, that great high priest who has interceded on your behalf and has interceded on behalf of the whole world. And now, that same Jesus who has prayed for you is here to pray with you. And so may your prayers, not just this week, not just throughout these 40 days, but throughout your life, may your prayers be such, not necessarily that they change God's heart and mind, but that through them, your relationship with God deepens and strengthens, and God changes you so that you are a part of that relationship that you are at work, so that the difference between your will and God's will is really not that much at all. May God give you his peace and his wisdom. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, who is our Lord and risen Savior. Amen.